0: All right, welcome in Hawk Reds Podcast, episode 139. I'm Travis Shadon, and we will get started shortly with today's episode. But first, Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah, and our title sponsor here on the Hawk Reds Podcast. You guys know the drill www.coaches.net, 3016 East Victory Drive, or 912 352 2933 if you want to call ahead your order. Uh, check them out online on Facebook as well, to get all of their concert information, um, the menu information, and also the other shows on the Coaches Corner Sports Network. Those shows, as you guys know, Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain on Wednesday nights. The NASCAR show with our guy, Brandon Bain. Uh, you can check out that archived on YouTube as well, Rubbin' and Grubbin'. Um, Carl DeMasi on Saturday mornings. That's the local sports show that covers all things local sports. Um, he also has the Prep pricks, Prep Pigskin Preview Show. Um, all of that you can find on Carl's Facebook page and also on Coach's Corner's Facebook page. Don't forget about the Herb Brothers once a year for the Masters. Um, you guys know the drill with, with the Herb Brothers. Uh, they do it right for the Masters, and you can check them out on YouTube, Savannah Masters, I believe, is the YouTube channel there. All right, thank you to Coach's Corner. You guys go support them. Tell them the Hot Chris Podcast sent you. Now, enough with the small talk. Let's get after it for our 139th time Hot Chris Podcast. Ain't
1: nobody going uh, this shit, boy I can't oh, <laughs> <Like this. laughs> i always kind of believed in aliens.
2: I don't know if I believe in flying saucers.
0: You might as well just walk up to keep it while he's on his lunch break and you know, cranking heat or something. Yeah. Right in the face, <laughs> a little baby right in.
2: We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright,
0: welcome in episode 139 of the Hot Crits podcast. Uh, got a lot to get to today. We have an interview with Kyle Sandy of sandyspiel.com. That'll help me preview the upcoming high school basketball season across the state of Georgia. Kyle is the like premier authority on high school basketball in this state. So that's at the back end of the episode. But first, um, a lot going on. So if you're listening to this on time, November 8th, happy Election Day for those who celebrate. Um, you know, obviously college football, NFL, we're going to get to Georgia's big win over Tennessee, Georgia Southern falling short against South Alabama and really blowing a game down the stretch, um, as well as Savannah state finishing five and five with a win over Lane college. But first major league baseball news, uh, the Bravos are in the news this week, Brian Snicker, NL manager of the year, finalist. Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, both National League Rookie of the Year finalists. I'm not sure who's going to win that. If I had to guess, I would guess Harris, by a nose, beats Spencer Strider in the Rookie of the Year contest just because he's an everyday player. Um, But I wouldn't be shocked if Strider won that as well. Also, Max Fried, an NL Cy Young finalist, which was a little bit surprising to me. Um, sort of a sour taste in, in Braves fans' mouth after Max Freed's last outing of the season against Philadelphia, um, who, by the way, lost to the Houston Astros. Um, so be sure to reach out to our good friend Mike Anthony. Um, I'm sure he's going through it emotionally right now. His Steelers are the worst team in football. The Phillies lost in the World Series to the Houston Astros. Um, the Phillies basically let down all of America uh, when they lost that game. So thoughts and prayers to Mike Anthony. Um, I thought Houston winning sort of put to rest the you know the last lingering bits of their cheating scandal. They needed to win that World Series in order to get that monkey. ...off their back because... ...if they... ...you know... ...if they finish this stretch... ...say, you know, going back three years... ...and looking forward three years from now... ...if they did that without another World Series... ...people would just always point to... ...well, the only World Series they won... ...they cheated... ...and that would have been legitimate... ...that would have been legitimate... ...because they did cheat... ...but... ...they won this one so they get that... ...off their backs... Other stuff in baseball, to keep in mind, Thursday's a huge day for Georgia sports, period. Well, for sports, but specifically for Georgia sports. We got um, Georgia Southern on Thursday night against Louisiana on ESPNU. The Falcons versus the Panthers in what may be the worst Thursday night football game of the year. And that's saying something, because those games are always bad. But also on Thursday, November 10th, we have the start of Major League Baseball free agency. So Dansby Swanson officially goes, we all officially go on Dansby Swanson watch, a la Freddie Freeman, beginning on November 10th. Beginning on Thursday, that's when Major League Baseball free agents can sign. Now, I will say this, that Major League Baseball free agency is a little different than other sports, it's more of a, a marathon, not a sprint. A lot of the deals get done at winter meetings, um, which are about a month, about a month after November tenth, uh, when the free agency period opens. Um, so, you know, I don't know that right at midnight on Wednesday night or you know on Thursday that a bunch of deals are going to happen, but that's when they can start. So that's something to sort of keep keeping the back of your mind here as you're trying you know as a sports fan you're trying to juggle basketball football but now you got to add baseball to it too so this is not for the weak of heart being a being a sports fan is not for the weak of heart got a lot on our plates um but if you're listening to this you're smart you're handsome uh and you're cool so you can do all those things i got confidence in you how about them dogs How about them dogs? I thought Tennessee was good. They told me Tennessee had the best offense in the country. They told me Tennessee was explosive. They told me you can't stop them. You can maybe just slow them down. Well, they were all wrong. Georgia kicked that ass on Saturday. um, And they will be number one in the CFP rankings come Tuesday night. Um, So if you're listening to this, those rankings might already be out by now, but Georgia will be number one there. Um, You know, the number three spot has been good to Georgia. The number three spot has been really good to Georgia because they entered the 2017 college football playoffs as the number three seed. They won the national title last season as the number three seed. And this week, or last week, they beat number one Tennessee as the number three seed in the CFP rankings so number three not bad for the dogs Uh, a couple notes, they're 9-0 and 6-0 they've now won 17 in a row between the hedges after their 27-13 win over Tennessee Um, Georgia this year plus 167 in the first half, they're outscoring opponents 100 by 167 points in the first half Stetson Bennett, 17 of 25 257, two tutties um, here's another note Stetson Bennett we know is 23-3 As a starter at Georgia 23-3 How about this stat Georgia all time versus the number one team in the country 3-5 and five. Stetson Bennett 2-0 and oh. So all time Georgia has three wins versus number one And the mailman Stetson Bennett's got two of those He's never lost to the number one team in the country Think about that for a minute I can't believe people were ever doubting the Stetson Bennett character. I tried to tell all you guys he was good. You guys like JT Daniels. Shame on you. Georgia for the season now 50 of 51 in the red zone. 50 of 51 in the red zone and they just continue continue to play really well. I don't see any way if they play their game, if they play well, and I don't even mean A+, if they just play well, I really don't see anyone else in the country that can compete with them. There's only three teams in the country that are ranked in the top 11 in points per game and points allowed per game. That's Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. Now, I know we all want to clown Ohio State. They only won 21-7 against Northwestern. But they have a lot of good players, and when you look at a roster... Like The the teams that recruit at a high level, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, the teams that are at the top of the recruiting rankings every year tend to be at the top of the polls every year. So whether you think Ohio State's played a tough schedule or not, they haven't, obviously. They have five stars all over the place. So they have the talent, and I'm interested to see what that'll look like, Ohio State and Michigan, but one of those teams will essentially knock themselves out of the running. The explosive plays for Georgia have been so huge, and it's not just that they're getting explosive plays, it's they're not allowing them either. Tennessee only had one play of 25 yards or more, and it came in the fourth quarter. Tennessee had one play, the most explosive offense in the country, had one play of 25 yards or more. On the season, Georgia has allowed 19 plays of 25 plus yards. They've Tallied 41 of those plays, so Georgia's offense 41 explosive plays, which is 25 or more yards. 41 of those for the dogs, 19 for the opponents. Not too shabby. Uh, 40.1 points per game for the dogs, 10.8 allowed. Again, as I say, they are one of three teams ranked in the top three in, or ranked in the top 11 in the country in both of those categories. All right, let's talk a little Georgia Southern, but first Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, 531 Stevenson Avenue, 912-352-3434. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen in Savannah or in Stevenson Avenue, the number one Southside lunch spot in Savannah, quick and easy. Steve Maguias is the owner and they have a bunch of great Southern food, great service, easy to deal with, good prices, everything you could ask for. Monday, 11 to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, a sponsor here on the Hot Crits Podcast. Check them out on Facebook as well. And like I say, if you want to call ahead your order, it's 912-352-3434. All right, Georgia Southern, 5-4, and 2-3 and three after their 38-31 to 31 loss to South Alabama. That's the largest blown lead, 17 points Georgia Southern was up by at one point, of the FBS era. So Georgia Southern, since 2014, has not blown a bigger lead than what they blew against South Alabama. Look, it was a troubling loss. South Alabama's better than Georgia Southern. They are. But Georgia Southern could have won that game. They should have won that game. And so that's sort of the paradox that Georgia Southern fans, I'm sure, are dealing with this week, is that you went into the game... As an underdog, a slight underdog, but an underdog, you went into that game and, you know, you thought, play well, and you might could win. I don't think they ever expected to be up by 17 points, but that's where they found themselves. And yet they still blew the game. They gave up four touchdowns to the Ladanian Webb, the uh, Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Week for South Alabama. Um... Look, there were a lot of things early to like in that game against the Jaguars. There were a lot of things to hate in that game late. Um, short week, they get Louisiana on Thursday night. But this is the kind of game that you you really don't want to linger. So it might be the the perfect opportunity for Georgia Southern, like, if if you blew that lead to South Alabama and then let's say you had a bye week coming up, you, you don't want that. You don't want to sit on that blown loss or blown lead that turned into a loss for too many days. And, and so now you get a short week. You don't really have time to pout about it. You don't really have time to pout about it if you're Georgia Southern because you got to get ready for the raging Cajuns. And Georgia Southern's one win away from getting bowl eligible. The Sun Belt East, out of the equation now. But they have three more chances to get a sixth win. And that would make this season wildly successful. Now, I want you guys to hear what Clay Helton said on Monday. This was interesting to me. Here's two clips from Clay Helton, okay? The opening statement, then a question from Nate Dominance of the Savannah Morning News. And listen to see if you can't tell what the theme for Clay Helton is this week, I mean, these two things are almost identical. The first one is his opening statement. The second one is about 10 minutes later into the press conference when Nathan Dominance asks him a question and his answer is almost identical to the opening statement. Here's Clay Helton on Monday in Statesboro.
1: The one thing I am appreciative of is our kids. Um, I walked into that locker room after the game, and it's what losing supposed to sound like. There was not one whisper anywhere. Uh, there was a team that really felt like um, they had put themselves in position to win a football game against a really good team, a team that's at near the top of the West Division, one of the better teams in our conference. uh, And we didn't make the plays down the stretch to get it done. Um, I really appreciated their focus yesterday. I thought that themselves and the staff have their jaw set to go do something special this week. We've been on some national stages before, whether it's a power five, uh, a power five win, whether it's a top 25 win. Now we get a Thursday night. On national tv to be able to show our product uh, and we've got our jaw set ready to go compete again uh, and compete and execute at a higher level we've had eight games that have been one score in the fourth quarter uh, we know this conference and how competitive it is and it's about execution and south alabama out executed us in the second half you talked about the team's reaction to the loss at home was yep. that different from any of the other losses in terms of reaction? You know, the one thing I love about these kids, one is their resiliency. They bounce back so fast. Um, and they and they came back to work yesterday. But when I walked in the locker room, you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't hear a whisper. Uh, and I, and I, I told them I said, man, I commend you because that's what losing supposed to sound like. It's supposed to hurt. You're supposed to be mad. Uh, and I could see your eyes, and I could see exactly where you're at right now. As you know that we had an opportunity to win at home, which we take a lot of pride in, and we did not get that done today as a team. Not one person, not one side of the ball. As a team, we didn't get that done. And I and I told him I expect you to come in here tomorrow with your jaw set and and get ready to go play a good Louisiana team and fight like hell to go get bowl eligible.
0: All right, so there you have it, the jaws set. Quiet locker rooms, jaws set, fight like hell to get bowl eligible. That shit gets me fired up, man. That gets me real fired up. That's the kind of thing I love to hear from a coach. Now, really, who cares what a coach is saying? It's really what the players are doing. But still, it's nice to hear that. I mean, it's nice to hear that dudes are pissed. You know what I mean? Like, Obviously, we know they're not happy in the locker room, but for Helton to say that twice, almost verbatim, I mean, the same terminology was used. That clip, you know, that press conference was, it wasn't strange. It was telling, is what it was on Monday in Statesboro. So they get Louisiana Thursday night. They can beat Louisiana, folks. They don't do it often. They're 1-4 all-time against the Raging Cajuns, but... Louisiana this year 4-5, and 2-4 and four in the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern is on Tuesday morning, uh, or I'm sorry, Monday morning a 3.5-point underdog. So they're getting about 3.5 points on the road. Essentially a pick'em if, if you give Louisiana 2 points for being at home. Over under 60 points. I always like the under on short weeks, but as you know, we don't bet the under around here. So, don't bet it at all or take the over. 60 points over under Georgia Southern, plus 3.5. If Georgia Southern loses this game, things are going to start to get real tense. Because then you get Marshall and App State, and you had better win one of those two games. You can't have a season where you beat a Power 5 team for the first time ever, and you beat a Top 25 team. Two separate wins. Nebraska and Jimmy Madison, you can't have that and still fall short of a bowl. So we came into the season thinking rebuilding year, not a lot of expectations, but that's changed and that's a good thing. So if they do all this and then they end on a four game losing streak, boy, it would be tough to swallow. I still got confidence in them. I think they're going to get it done. I don't know about Thursday night, I sure hope so, but they got to win one of these last three to get bowl eligible and call this season a success. A five-win season, not successful. Six wins, successful. There you go. Cut and dry, not a math guy. Alright, congrats to Savannah State. Savannah State did beat Lane College last Saturday. They finished at 5-5. Better season than I thought. Better season than I thought. 5-5. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but since I've harped on Savannah State before and ragged on them before, they deserve credit. Aaron Kelton deserves credit. Uh, The entire Savannah State coaching staff deserves credit because this team could have easily, easily given up on them. They had every reason to do so when you think about it, but they didn't. And players not giving up on a coaching staff means the coaching staff is doing something right. So, you know, that's something. That's not nothing for Savannah State. Congrats to them five and five on the season. Not great, not bad. But you know, if you go back five years ago and you told somebody that Savannah State finishes the season at five and five, they, they would be having a parade down Skidaway Avenue. So it's something to think about and, and try to, you know, keep it in perspective a little bit, that the program was so bad for so long. Um, then they had those great years under Sean Quinn and Russell Damassi. Um, and so the expectations have risen a little bit, but five and five, like I say, nothing to sneeze at and not too shabby. All right. What about the Falcons? They lost to the Chargers. going to talk about that, but first John Carr, a realtor, the number one realtor in the world, 912-228-0916. 912-228-0916. text or call John Carr today. If you want to buy or sell real estate in the savannah area he knows it like the back of his hand folks he's a native of the area Um, and whether you're in the market to buy a house whether you're trying to sell your house or even if you're just thinking about it shoot him a text or call him and tell him that the Hawk Ritz podcast sent you and he'll hook it up john carr realtor facebook twitter and instagram 912-228-0916 the Falcons lost 20 to 17 to the Chargers. They're 4 and 5 overall. Tough to lose a game when you outrush the opponent 201 to 91. But that's exactly what the Falcons did. They only passed for 114 yards. Um, and look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking down the Chargers game because we're several days removed from it now. But like we said last week, Carolina Thursday night, 10 days off. Then you get the Bears, Steelers, Commanders. This is possible. This is doable for the Falcons. But it definitely, definitely starts Thursday night. Just a huge, huge game for the Falcons at Carolina. Thursday night football. Falcons are three-point favorites, I believe. Over-under 43.5. Check me on that. Are the Falcons three-point favorites or three-point dogs? Could be one or the other. Uh, I'm not sure you guys care all that much, but again, short week. Thursday night football in the NFL that just screams under 43 and a half points. Um, the Falcons, if they can get the win on Thursday night, will move to five and five, and will keep pace in what is possibly the worst division in football. I don't even know if it's possible. It could be definitively the worst division in football in the NFC South. So. Uh, Again, Thursday night big, Georgia Southern on ESPNU, Falcons on NFL Thursday night football, um, and then MLB free agency also starting on Thursday, so a lot to pay attention to there. All right, let's talk a little high school football quickly. High school football brought to you by PrepsportsReport.com. PrepsportsReport.com, the number one source for local sports, including high school sports, here in the Savannah area, 100% free to read, no subscriptions necessary, you don't have to sign up or do anything like that. You just click the stories and read the stories right there on PrepsportsReport.com, at PrepSAV on Twitter. High school football playoffs, they are starting Friday night, Friday night, November 11th, also Veterans Day, also the start of high school basketball season. Um, why the Georgia High School Association would start its basketball season on the same exact day as it starts its first round of the football playoffs, which also happens to be a federal holiday, Veterans Day. Why the GHSA would do that, who knows. But I won't go down that rabbit hole because if you start talking about things that they do wrong at the GHSA, we will be here forever. Uh, We have nine teams in the state playoffs from this area. Seven of them are in GHSA. Uh, Benedictine and Calvary are a pair of one seeds. They're in 3-4A and 3-3A. Um, if you guys want to hear more about high school football, um, listen to me and Carl on the Prep Pickskin Preview. I'm eventually going to get that right. Prep Pigskin Preview show, uh, which will come out On Thursday, Carl and I will break down all the first-round matchups, um, getting you guys ready for everything you need to know about the first-round matchups. Also, you can just go to prepsportsreport.com, and I have about 1,500 words up there, uh, previewing every single game, all nine games, um, getting you ready for it, letting you know the ins and outs of the first round of the high school football playoffs. So check out the show with Carl. Um, I'll tweet it out from our official account, and you guys can see it there. Um, All right, let's get to our HGP celebrity death of the week. Aaron Carter, rest in peace. Aaron Carter, rest in peace. Who knew that guy was 34? Was he 34 or 36? He could have been 32. Who knew that guy was that old? Not me. Not me. So, sad that he died, but congrats to Aaron Carter for earning this week's HGP Celebrity Death of the Week, also known as the HGp C D O T W. we got to work on improving that acronym. All right, let's wrap up the show now. We'll get you guys to my interview with Kyle Sandy of sandyspiel.com. Stick around, even if you're not into Georgia high school basketball, which I realize a lot of you aren't, um, we do talk about some bigger picture stuff Um, in terms of prep sports in this state, and specifically in this city. So stay tuned for that. That's coming right up. And until episode 140, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. All right, we got Kyle Sandy now joining me to help preview the 2022-23 high school basketball season. Kyle Sandy is uh, Mr. Georgia high school basketball, in my opinion. Uh, you can find him uh, in his podcast, the website, sandyspeel.com, also on Twitter, Instagram, social media, anywhere online, really. Kyle Sandy, thanks for coming on Hot Grits, man.
2: Hey, Traps, it's a long time coming. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: Yeah, so look, I, like I think a lot of our listeners are, you know, if they're listening to this, then they're involved in high school basketball in some way, either as fans, coaches, players, or other media members. And so I I want to start here. For this season, bigger storyline for you, shot clock or reclassification?
2: Oh, definitely reclassification. I think the shot clock, that has been so blown out of proportion with how much it's going to change the games. Obviously, it'll change uh, end-of-game scenarios here and there and at the end of halves and quarters as far as what you want to do if you want to foul or if you're holding the ball and this that, and the other. But definitely reclassification in the new regions, uh, that is what is going to change things in the GHSA in my mind. Um, Just going from uh, teams moving up, teams moving down, you got Class A private, Class A public no longer separated. They're all jumbled in together now. Uh, So I think that is really the storyline that I'm most uh, closely watching. I think there's going to be some uh, growing pains with the shot clock maybe, but I think once they're about... You know, two or three weeks in, I think that'll be all fine. And we're going to even forget that we're even playing with the shot clock for most of the ga- most of these games. But I really do think uh, reclassification is what I have my eye on.
0: Well, so with the shot clock, like, were, were you one because I don't remember you being like, you know, gung-ho, we have to have the shot clock, we have to get the shot clock. Like, I I think you are pro shot clock, but for you, the game before the shot clock wasn't that different than the way it's going to be moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't really for it or against it. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I understand that we play with a shot clock in college. So theoretically speaking, yes, it is going to only benefit players playing with a shot clock. But then you kind of break it down, like what percentage of these uh, student athletes are actually going to be playing in college and preparing for the college level? You know, the five-star kids, four-star kids are not going to have much of an issue adjusting to playing with the shot clock because they're already used to playing fast. Yeah, uh, so I think it can kind of affect maybe the the, the, the the teams that aren't necessarily as gifted. Maybe it makes it a little bit tougher. Um, but I, I don't foresee it being a, a huge uh, game changer by any means. Like I said earlier, I just feel like a, a lot of possessions, when you really think about it, how often are you sitting there and watching one and two minute long possessions. It's, it's, it doesn't happen quite often. And especially with these higher level teams, um, you know, they're, they're playing at a quick pace already and you, you see shots taken within first 12, 15 seconds or so. So, end the game scenarios, it'll have a bigger, um, a bigger fingerprint, f- bigger footprint, I guess you could say. Uh, but as far as uh, the day to day, the game to game, Uh, I know I don't really foresee it having too much of a a big impact because, uh, you know, it's been a three year implement uh, implementation uh, process. So it's been getting implemented each and every year. So I've seen high school games in these showcases that have played with shot clocks. There have been regions that have already been playing with shot clocks, So it's really not going to be as much of a drastic change as maybe the outsider looking in might think it would be.
0: Yeah, that point that you began with, the point about um, preparing kids for the next level, when I read or hear coaches say that, like, and Charmin White comes to mind, preparing kids for the next level is not, in my opinion, the primary goal of high school sports. And I thought that we all sort of agreed on that. Like preparing kids for the next level, it's like you said, if – a kid is a four-star or five-star, I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to adapt or adjust in college to a shot clock. Like, I don't think the GHSA having the shot clock is really preparing kids to the next level. That is that significant. You know what I mean?
2: You're, you're, you're right. And I I do agree with you. And I think it's, uh, in some aspects, I know it's it's only going to behoove the game. I don't think it's going to hurt the game at all. Sure. Um, but it is kind of one of those things like, hey, we're Georgia. Hey, look at us. We have a shot clock. Look how good our state is. We're so cutting edge with having a shot clock in high school basketball. <laughs> and we're so closely replicating what you see at the next level. Um, I think it's a little bit of that was, um, I don't want to say an ego play, but it is just trying to let the rest of the nation see, oh, Georgia, we already know they have great basketball teams and great talent, but now they're even using a shot clock. So it's just another tool to kind of say, hey, look at us. And again, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, speak poorly on the shot clock. I think it's it's going to be fine. It's not going to be a huge difference. I think it's it's good. But again, I don't think it's just going to be this this new addition that is like, wow, what were we doing the past 50 years of high school basketball? We have completely changed the game. I just don't really see it being that big of an effect.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'll, you know, hand up here. I'll confess. I did write like 800 words last week in a column uh, about how the shot clock era is here. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe I was part of that a little bit, maybe overthinking it. Um, For me, like logistically, the, the use of the shot clock and how that works, like the first two or three weeks, maybe that's, Maybe that's what I'm most interested in seeing and, and seeing like how that kind of stuff works. Um, but we can move on from that. Um, you touched earlier on reclassification. Public school versus private school, basketball specific here. Public school versus private school. what are the uh, advantages and disadvantages to being one or the other in your opinion in this state? Like the private schools, it seems to me, there's a, a clear advantage that they have, but I don't know that it's like so significant. Um, you know, that, that it impacts the power balance of, of high school basketball here.-
2: Yeah, I think we're really going to see, uh, if our uh, what we feel about the, the the two classifications joining together, private and public all mixing in, we're really going to see if what our theories are are correct. Yes, uh, I, I would tend to think that private schools do have uh, better resources, and especially when you're looking at like a class uh, 1A division one where you have, some some private schools mix in there with small uh public schools from like little rural areas yeah. and stuff it's just completely different especially when you're talking about private schools from the big cities like in atlanta like obviously you're going to have a lot more to pull from but if you're talking about like Bryan county or scriven county or Triumph, with you know they're down south or up north and the small little towns like that's they're homegrown kids and that's all it's ever going to be over there you're not going to be able to kind of pluck kids from here, 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 and then have, you know, most of these <laughs> private schools, I would assume, have great state-of-the-art facilities as far as weight rooms and this that, and the other, and it, it really goes into uh, having great exposure for these programs, and they go out there, and, you know, they're just able to load up in town, and you see some of the same teams, and, like, on the girls' side, uh, in class, A private always win a bunch of games, like, Galloway is really good, St. Francis is always winning 25-plus games uh, per year on the girls' side, and then you kind of challenge that with, well, how does a Swainsboro, how does a Raven County, how do schools like that kind of compete now that they're stuck uh, with these juggernaut private schools that are good all the time? Like a team that used to be really, really good but would always run into a buzzsaw when we had uh, private schools and public schools mixed in on those smaller classifications was a team Pelham. On the girls' side, they were really good. Yeah. But they would always run into like holy innocence or one of these powerhouse teams in the final four, or Elite Eight, and they'd lose by like 10 points. But every other public school would be getting beat by 40, 50 points. And then what happened? They finally separated. And then of course Pelham goes on to win a state title uh, the very next year when they're separated. So I from me, and I, hopefully I'm wrong because I don't think it's very fun to just say, oh, all the private schools are going to win all the state championships. But if we see all the private schools that are mixed in, especially on these lower classifications where it's more so um, you know, relevant, mixed in like that, if we see all the private schools winning Division One, Division II, uh, and just running away with it, I feel like we're going to go right back to square one and say, why do we have the public schools mixed in with the private schools? Again, the private schools are always going to dominate. Why don't we... Uh, separate it back again. I just feel like it's it, it could end up being an endless cycle if these public schools aren't able to really hold their own against some of these juggernauts in the smaller classifications of private schools. And if they can't knock them off and we just see the same private schools continuing to just blow everybody out in the state playoffs by 30, 40 points when they get to these uh, smaller public schools, I just think that's not necessarily that great for the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I promise we're going to talk. 2022 specific but i want to ask a couple more like big picture general georgia high school basketball questions um that i've kind of had saved up for you for a while kyle um okay transfers i go back and forth on this i'm of the mindset that a kid and and a kid's family should be the only thing that determine where a kid goes to school period uh no matter where they live you know, no matter if they play a sport or not. But I do understand that, like, that would open the floodgates tremendously. Obviously, transfers in this state are a frequent thing already, uh, whether we want to talk recruiting or anything like that. But transfers happen with regularity. We can all agree on that. Do you think that it's a problem or that it's detrimental to Georgia high school basketball, the amount of transfers that are happening?
2: I mean, I'm. Um- I'm an old school guy, I guess you could say, and I'm I'm always going to be in favor of more of a homegrown, uh, localized kids that grow up and you know play with each other since elementary school. That's just the um, the old man in me, uh, but I, I do I, I do understand um, the idea of wanting to put your kid in a better situation to be to be seen more. Um, But a fallacy with that, that's always the funniest thing is when you hear from parents or whoever saying, oh, we're going to transfer our kid to this school so he can get uh, more looks and more offers. But then before he even plays a game with his new school, he's committing (laughs) <laughs> uh, to a college that he already had that offer at his old school. So what's the point? You, now you're that's that that's telling me that you're not. That doesn't sound legit to me. If you're saying we're we're gonna play with this school now because it's better for his development and he's gonna be able to get seen more and get more offers. But you already had that offer at school X and you transfer to school Y and you don't even play with school Y yet and you're already taking that offer and committing before the season even starts. That makes no sense to me. And I think it really comes down to. Uh, transferring, again, there's different situations here, there, and the other. I'm always on more on the favor of trying to stay localized and just grow up with who you played with. If you're good enough, you will be seen. That's why they have the travel ball circuit. You can stay localized at a small school and play there your full four years and still get – offers division one possibly if you're really really good but division two II, division three junior college NAI that's why we have travel basketball because that is where you find a travel team and that's where it's a very important decision to play with the program that plays some big exposure events where you are able to be seen and you do get good playing time and this that and the other that's where a lot of these kids are getting uh, recruited from anyway is on the weekends at these big travel ball events because college coaches are all there. They're able to see 10, 15, 20 games a day instead of going to one or two games a night during the high school season. So that is why I feel like, you know, you don't necessarily have to transfer. If you can find a good travel team, there it is. There's your exposure right there. But that goes in saying the undue influence is the issue I have with transfers where you see the same travel ball programs getting the same kids that play with them during travel ball season. And oh, all of a sudden they're at this school now, this travel ball team is like a feeder program for this high school, and it, it, it ebbs and flows. And you see it uh, a couple juggernaut teams. They just they have these kids, they play there, and to some surprise, uh, a year or two down the road, once they're starting to blow up, oh, they end up transferring to this same school, and they got all these kids on the same yeah. travel team, going to the same high school. That's what I don't like, and I just feel like when we try and build up these these uh, juggernaut superstar teams, however you want to call them um it just feels like I, I i think it's much better bounce when we don't have that stuff and then it feels bad especially when we have you know sometimes kids comes from out of state or they'll announce on twitter or make a youtube page or a video saying i am bringing my talent to so-and-so high school yeah. like at that point it just feels like um you're just going to these teams and you're a mercenary to try and win a state title and sometimes it works out. A lot of state titles are won and loft in the offseason. But a lot of other times you see teams that bring in four or five guys, but there's just too many egos. Too many guys used to be in the man and they don't want to run through a brick wall for the coach because they know, hey, I'm only going to be here for six months right. playing basketball for a couple months. I don't really care what the coach says. I already got my offers. So that is where it gets a little gets a little sketchy. And uh, transfers, you know, it's a battle that it's never going to go away. And it's, you know, if you really want to uncover every single stone, you're going to be flipping over stones for a long time. And that's something I don't want to get into. Um, But it's it's here. And you see it even trickle up to the college levels where kids are tranching four or five times going to all these different schools. It's just really hard to find someone that wants to stay at one place work their way up the rotation and continue on. And quickly on the other side of that, when you're at a school that brings in four or five transfers every t- single time, well, shoot, that would stink if you're a kid that's a homegrown kid that's working hard to try and get into the rotation. But you got three or four kids transferring in every single year, pushing you down the depth chart, and that kind of forces you to transfer just because you're not trying to even play Division One basketball. I just want to play exactly. varsity
0: basketball. Yeah. So it's very difficult there. And that's what happens down here in Savannah, Kyle. It's the – it's – if you're a coach at a public school here in Savannah, and and you are adamant that that you want homegrown players, that you're not going to do the undue influence, you're not going to you know sort of skirt around the rules, you end up getting left behind, and and you're forced to do what the other schools are doing because you have no other option if you want to compete. And in a school that I think about when I when I say that kind of thing is Savannah High. I mean they're the poster child for that because Tim Jordan has you know, more or less refused and publicly stated multiple times that if you don't want to play at Savannah High, then he will gladly let you transfer somewhere else and he'll never have a problem with it. And he does not like take transfers from other public schools here in town. And I don't know if it's a direct result, but the fact is that Savannah High has been down the last five or six years. And, and you know, consequently, Jenkins, Windsor Forest, Johnson, those kind of schools that We're taking transfers, whether right or wrong, have had a come up. And so it's like, you know, if I'm Tim Jordan, you're kind of left throwing your hands in the air. And I guess I'll get to a question here, Kyle. If you're the GHSA, like, how do you solve this? Because the the way that they do it now, where they're checking addresses sometimes, um, Mm -hmm. is it, it just clearly and plainly doesn't work because it's not consistent and it's impossible to track every kid across the state, you know, go drive by their house and make sure they're living there at that address. So if you're the GHSA, like what is there, you know, is there something they can do to solve it?
2: Yeah. I just, I think it's just such a slippery slope and I I don't think there is a, a, a way to really solve it, quote unquote, because it's just been going on and on. And, you know, it's such a litigious society now and the, the parents aren't afraid to try and take you to court. Everyone tries to sue the GHSA. It feels like every other
0: year. <laughs> that's true.
2: This, that, or the other, like we had a school uh, up here, they had a bunch of trenches that were supposed to come, but their AD did a uh, knock on the door check. And now three or four trenches that were supposed to be playing for this prominent program. See ya. They're not playing. They're ineligible. They're gone. And that's very rare, especially at some of these, bigger schools that they actually do do that. I mean, obviously uh, the situation uh, that happened last year at a seven, a school where there was a shooting and then they found out these kids were living in, uh, you know, f- addresses and whatever it was a whole, Yo, a yeah. whole scenario. You can uh, Without saying names, you could all Google that situation. You see it in the police reports and stuff and uh, heard about other schools with kids that are unsupervised living in uh, apartments by themselves and stuff. And then of course, there's other areas where they have enough money where they can just rent out an apartment and it's completely empty. Or there's people that are flipping houses and bringing in kids and saying they can live there. It's just so crazy. And it's the disgusting part of high school basketball. Like, And as you were talking about Savannah High, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Uh, if you want to coach just the kids in your hall, that's the way it should be. But if everyone else, if other teams aren't doing that and they can bring all these guys and you get left in the dust and people think you're not a good coach because you're not out there doing all that stuff. I mean, some of the most hyped up coaches, um, not only in Georgia, but in the entire country, you know, a lot of these guys, well, shoot, it's easy to be hyped up when you have the most talent on the floor every single year and you have – Guys just flooding into your schools nonstop. When's the last time so-and-so coaches just coached with five guys that started there as freshmen or even in the middle school program in the entire time? Some of these coaches' records would look a lot different if they coached with just kids that they were supposed to coach. And, you know, of course, some of that is not their fault. You win. People want to move in. But when it gets to the point where you you get the same guys, it's not – Johnny and Joey transferring in. It's a four-star and a five-star guy transferring in. All these other random schools out here, like they don't have that luxury. They might have a JV kid move in that might play ten minutes a game on the varsity level. These juggernaut programs, it's from national, uh, you know, high schools coming in and playing there, and it's just crazy that, uh, you know, you can't necessarily judge the best coaches in the state of Georgia based on rings and based on records because there's a lot that goes into that and. A lot of people would kill to even have their bench to coach like these guys with all these division one players it's it's a stark contrast it doesn't even feel like the same game when you compare them to other schools that have the natural ebbs and flows of you might win 20 games this year but it's going to be another three years till you can do that because it's just the ups and downs of having a feeder program so it's it's very interesting there's a lot of noise on twitter and a lot of praising each other. But uh, when you look at, wow, shoot, this guy better win 25 games every single year. You have the most talent every single year. You're never going into a game where you're supposed to lose. It's hard to say, wow, this guy is an amazing coach. Yeah, a lot of people would be an amazing coach with that roster.
0: Kyle, what's the, uh, what's the best Savannah team, and you've been doing this for a while now, what's the best Savannah team that you've ever seen play in person um, you know, pro- I'm assuming it would be a team that made the Final Four or championship that you got to see um, in Macon or elsewhere. Uh, is there a team that comes to mind for you, um, best team um, that you've ever seen from Savannah? Bo- uh, uh, boys mean, know-
2: team. Boys team. Yeah, I know Savannah. They had a great year last year with a lot of these teams making it to the Final Four. Obviously, uh, Windsor Forest probably going to be the first one that jumps to mind that I remember. Um, playing for a state title. Um, they were a great team last year. Surprised they weren't able to get it done, but it, just, it goes to show just how difficult it is to win a state title. But that team was really good. You had Woodville Tompkins' boys a couple years ago when I think they maybe only lost one game. They got knocked off in maybe the lead Eight or Final Four. Right. Uh, Coach Lenny, one of his first teams there, uh, that was a really good team. Um, so th- those two teams kind of come to mind yeah, um, I know John Savannah is a team that is always right there in the thick of things. When they had the Bulls brothers and all those guys, that was a really fun team to watch. That would probably be one of the better teams I think I've seen from the Savannah area. But, you know, like you said, that these teams, they come and go. And um, very quickly, if a couple kids moves in, you can get really, really good really quickly. But Johnson has always been a good program. And, and Jenkins, of course, back in the day with Bokari Bryant. Uh, they were a, a phenomenal yeah. team that was able to make Making many times. So those teams really come to mind.
0: Bacardi Bakari was one of those guys, speaking of transfers, uh he wasn't shy about it. He was like he didn't try to hide it at all. He did his thing. Um and I think he you know, whether he gets credit for it or he gets blamed for it is, you know, a matter of opinion. But at least in this area, Kyle, I can tell you that he's the one that sort of started the whole um, you know, shift towards if you're not accepting transfers, you're gonna get left behind. Um, but, yeah, Bakari's success at Jenkins, I think, started that. Um, so, Savannah teams this year, just looking at your preseason rankings, and, again, you guys can find all of these on sandyspiel.com. Uh, we got Johnson and Beach ranked 3 and 4, respectively, in 3A. Then Woodville-Tompkins there with Lenny coaching again in Class 1A D1. Um, is there something, anything that jumps off the page to you about Johnson, Beach, or Woodville? Um, maybe something that's different about them this year that's, you know, not been the same as in years past, or is there anything about these teams specifically that you like?
2: Uh, I think both of those teams have a, a good amount of their top talent coming back. Obviously, um, Beach got hurt with Larry Johnson transferring out, and I think that, you know, that really, really hurts them as far as, they could be a legitimate state championship contender. And I still think they possibly could be. But when you lose a D1 prospect like that, that that kind of hurts your ceiling. But uh, between Johnson and Beach, I mean, both these teams, they have certified star players that have done it for years now. With Antonio Baker at Johnson, I, I really love his game. They came and played at my tip-off event last year. And uh, we're a very impressive team. I, I believe they came back and beat West Forsyth, who had a great year in Class 7A. Um, so Antonio Baker, just him, really establishing himself, not just being a household name in Savannah. I think the rest of the state uh, finally realizes just how good he is. And then Shamari Huey at Beach, uh, he, he he looks apart. I've seen him a lot in the travel ball circuit. When you're about six foot five and you stuff the stat sheet like he does, um, I just think you always have a chance. Uh, and that's what Johnson and Beach have. They had the best player on the floor probably nine out of ten times every single time you take the floor. And if you do have that, you always have a chance. And with Woodville, I mean, that's a team that has just always had a couple good players. It's never been just one star guy. Coach Lenny always has about three or four guys that can really share the sugar and get the job done. And they're coming off a Final Four run where they finally kind of got healthy at the right time and had all their pieces, and you saw how good they can be. Now, they lose a lot of talent. Um, but with A.J. Ross still there, being a veteran guard, and Wesley Walker, I believe, still anchoring the post at six foot seven, those are two really good pieces uh, that can really lead them back to the Final Four, I feel like. And it's going to be tough with the new classifications and everything like that, um, but I think Coach William T. has done a really good job. Ever since he took over that Woodville Tompkins program, they have been very – very strong and a team that is a, a force to be reckoned with come state tournament
0: time. Uh, he's one of my favorites, Kyle Lineas. I don't know, you know, how many times that you've got to talk to him on the record, but it's almost like he he some of the time some of the times that I get to talk to him, he, he wants you to tee him up for a question where he can take shots at other. I mean, not, not take shots, but yeah. he likes it. You know what I mean? He mixes it up. Uh, he he he's golden, and I really like. I really like Lenny over at Woodville. I think th- they're unique, Kyle, because they don't have a football team. Um, and, I, mm, and that's right. just popping into my head now. Is that, do you see that across the state? Like, are there any other schools that pop into your head that don't have a football team that are pretty successful in basketball?
2: Oh, boy. I mean, like a- an obvious one, Green Forest. But, I mean, that's kind of when you talk about Green Forest, when they have seven-footers coming right. in from across – the world, literally, from different continents, it's 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 a high school, but it's not your mama's high school. It's very, very different. So that would be a team um, that has always had success without having a football program to my knowledge. Um, but it's pretty rare,
0: right? Like it's not yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, it's very rare. When I'm just looking at these rankings I have right now, like there's not a lot. Like Drew Charter, I don't think they had a football team that won the Class A public championship last year in basketball. I don't think they have a football team. Don't quote me on that, um, but definitely Green Force is the one that first comes to mind uh, easily. With just <laughs> how good they've been, how they do it, and not having a football team like that, it's uh, it's very impressive.
0: All right, Kyle, I've kept kept you longer um, than I told you. What else is new? Um, Two more for you if you got time.
2: Oh, yeah, please.
0: Um, Savannah brand of basketball, like this is something that we've talked about in the past. And I wonder for you being up, you know, at least near the Atlanta area, not your opinion, but if you could give voice to what others um, in North Georgia and around the state, like what they think of when they think of the Savannah basketball brand or – or if that's even a thing that they think about because down here I do kind of think about the state in terms of there's Atlanta, there's Savannah, there's central Georgia, and then and then maybe the fourth one would be West. But is there anything that like coaches or other media members or players or people think about or talk about when when it's a Savannah team involved?
2: Well, I can't speak for other people, but I know when I think about Savannah. Fair enough. And yeah, of course, and in cities like that, I think about the toughness. I think about teams that play with the chip on their shoulder because they're not from Atlanta. They, they don't feel like they get as much respect as they deserve, and many times they are incredibly right. Like you put Antonio Baker, you put uh, Shmari Huey, you put some of these other guys on some of these Gwinnett and Cobb and you know Fulton schools. They're going to be talked about a lot over there, and people would be singing their praises. But since a lot of these people don't get to see them other than just on the circuit, maybe a few times uh, a weekend uh, over the course of the summer and spring months, they just aren't as well known. But these guys can flat out play. Uh, So Savannah, when I think about them, I just think about uh, tough-nosed kids that will play fast, obviously not afraid to get after you defensively, um, again, they have some tough coaches down there. We've talked about Lenny plenty of times. And, uh, uh, of course, Coach Chuck over there at Johnson is does a great job of just pouring into his kids and uh, really loving on them but coaching them extremely hard at the same time. Um, so I just feel like that's always a hallmark, uh, and it's got to be, especially if you're outside that metro Atlanta area. You have to be tougher than these guys because top to bottom, you would assume a Gwinnett school or a Cobb school like 1 through 12 – they're, they're probably going to have more talent on the roster. But, uh, you know, those memes are going around on uh, Twitter with having that dog in them. you got to have the dog in you. I think the Savannah <laughs> players, they got that dog in them. And I think that really separates them from some of these schools in the metro Atlanta area that might feel like they're a little bit too cool for school at times. It can pop up here and there. Uh, I don't think you ever see that with kids from Savannah.
0: Well, see, Kyle, you're not that old, man. You, you, you know all about memes and all that kind of stuff.
2: I try to, I got to keep up with the, keep up with the trends on social media. It's a, it's a, it's a, a battlefield out there, but sometimes I peek my eye on there and see what I can see.
0: Uh, are there any Savannah teams? I know you like country day a little bit this year. Um, people around here, like Calvary, um, is it like dark horse type teams. I think of, um, of what beach did last year, making the final four. And maybe that's not what I'm talking about. But a team that maybe could – that's not in your top ten in the Savannah area, um, a, t- a team that maybe could win a game or two in the state playoffs. Are there any teams that come to mind?
2: Um, like that Savannah Country Day team, I, I've never seen them. I've seen video footage. I'm interested just because if everyone's back that's supposed to be back, you got your top score, your second leading score, uh, your fifth, your sixth leading score. So you have a lot back. They have those two juniors. Uh, Timo Moeller and I believe Robert Spalding both put yep. up very solid numbers a season ago when they were both sophomores. So that's a team. Just looking at them on paper, 13 and 13 a year ago. Uh, but the the thing is with that, they're you're not in private anymore. Yep. You're playing. You're playing Beach. You're playing Johnson. You're playing even like a Long County. So it, it's they they might be better than last year's team, but the record might not necessarily reflect that now, just because the level of competition might be uh, stepped up a little bit. Um, But that's a team I, I, I'm I'm eager to see what they do this year with a little bit of a little bit of optimism around them now.
0: Yeah, me too. That And that is interesting. Like coming out of football season here, the public schools have sort of taken a beating uh, to the private schools in that 3-3-A. Three, mm-hmm. three, three and I have a feeling that the basketball coaches and players uh, involved in football may be getting their revenge uh, this basketball season. <laughs> right. Um, right, very,
2: very possible.
0: Okay, Kyle, uh, last one. I lied again, last one. Um, if you were GHSA president for 24 hours, one day you can do whatever you want. You're you're a dictator for one day. You can change any of the rules. Um, you can re-implement or do anything you'd like. What, what are you doing if you're GHSA president for one day? Besides giving yourself a raise. Oh, gosh. Uh,
2: I would say... And, of course, this can't ever really happen. But if you want to have an open division where schools that will put their hand up and say, hey, I want to play in a, in a league where we can freely get transfers and do your undue influence and all this stuff, I want teams to put in and say, I want to play in this league. And you could put a little mark next to your name, and you might come up with 40 schools that say, yeah, I want to be able to transfer freely. doesn't matter where they live. Um, but you can only recruit or don't say recruit word, but get <laughs> transfers from other schools that have signified that they want to play in that open league. Like you can't come down and pick up a kid from Harlem when Harlem says, no, we don't want to play in this open division. So if you want to have a 40 team league of, yeah, it's a wild, wild west, just transfer from this school to this school, to this school. But you can't pick up any kids from outside of those 40 designated schools. Would that be the year transfer so all these other small schools these rural schools that have talent that come up the pipelines and like a team I have coming to one of my events they, they had a great all-state guard he was supposed to be playing there a senior year oh he's gone he's now playing at a, a juggernaut 7a school stuff like that if we had implemented something where you signified you wanted to play in that league your kids are off limits if you're not in that league you cannot accept transfers to come if they're not playing by those same set of rules as far as I'm going to transfer here, 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 here. I think that would help some of these smaller schools keep their homegrown kids and uh, not have to worry about the big juggernauts 7A and 6A schools knocking on your door saying, hey, come play with us. we got scholarship offers, and we're going to win a championship. So that would be my my, uh, my ruling, just have a, a set league where however many teams want to play by those same set of rules, fine. But if you don't, then you're off limits to those schools that want to bring in kids.
0: I love it. I love it. You got my vote, Kyle. Um, oh, All right, man. You, well, hey, look, I, I appreciate you taking the time and I know our listeners appreciate it as well. Again, if you guys want to hear more about high school basketball, this is the number one guy. I promise you he's the number one guy to follow Kyle Sandy 355 on Twitter website sandyspeel.com, And then the podcast uh, is Sandy Spiel. You can just um, search Kyle Sandy in whatever podcast app you listen to and it'll pop up right there. Kyle, thanks for taking the time, man.
2: I really appreciate it, Travis. Long time coming. Thank you so much. Looking forward to getting down to Chatham County and watching some basketball this year.
0: Hell yeah. Looking forward to seeing you, Kyle. Yes, sir. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA, is owned and operated by Ross Howard. And together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players. Full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282. And visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility. Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call. 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Brady Electric is Savannah's number 1 electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family-owned and family-operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Brady Electric that's 2D's B R A D D Y Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.